Rebecca Vega, and this is My Sober Life. Welcome back to My Sober Life. Thank you for being here. If you haven't already, I hope you go back and listen to episode 30 with my sister, Denise Vega. I've sort of been floating after that conversation with her last week, just having such immense gratitude for my family and our relationships. So I'm going to jump right in today to tell you a story about when I actually made the decision to stop drinking. After my mom died, it felt like a ravine was in front of me now. And on the other side of this giant crevasse that was so wide and so deep was the me from before. The more I was trying to get back to normal, the more I found I couldn't. There was no bridge between the old me and the new me. This is who I was now. And that schism was a part of me. There was nothing I could do to get back to normal. There was no normal anymore. I struggled intensely with this because with the exception of a couple of friends, no one really understood what I was going through. At work, they offered their condolences and of course, as much time off as they could give me, but I think I only took not even a full week and a half off before I was back in the office, which on the one hand, It's a great distraction, but on the other hand, I never really got a chance to process anything. And one of my best friends had lost her mother just a few years prior, and one of the first things I came to realize was how I wasn't really there for her as a friend in her grief, because I didn't understand what that grief was. It it really changes you and shifts you, and so I felt very alone at that time. Even though I was married and had two young kids and had a career, I was juggling a lot. And now this foundation of mine was completely gone and I didn't really know what to do. So over the course of the next year, I'm reading books and blogs by the big three that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, Liz Gilbert. And it sort of started to come into my consciousness In order to peacefully say goodbye to who I was and step into who this next version of myself was going to be, I needed to make some changes. In early 2016, I had started a new job. I took it because I was scared I wasn't going to get offered any other jobs. It was about the same money I had been making before, but the benefit premiums were a lot higher, so my actual take-home pay was less than I was making before. And I'd been working there for a few months when I was taking a week off to go with my family up to the mountains like we used to do every summer. But because I hadn't been at the job very long, I hadn't earned enough vacation hours to take the whole week off. They agreed to let me go as long as I worked part of the time that I was there. And so I did. I enjoyed very little of my vacation because I was working upwards of 10 to 12 hours a day. I didn't hardly get to go on any mountain adventures, and it was very stressful. And and towards the end of the week up there, I remember sitting down with some of my family members and saying, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. 
I'm ready to make a change. I'm going to start putting my resume out there and then I'm going to quit this job. I was planning on quitting it the following Friday. So I was going to go back to work on Monday. I would give him my two weeks on the following Friday. That would give me two more weeks. And then we were going on like a full vacation at that point to visit some friends. So I get back to the office on Monday morning. Things are very quiet and weird. Feel like a vibe in the office that doesn't feel normal. I shared a space with another woman and we had not quite clicked very well that whole time. And it was also part of the reason why I was not really feeling like this was the place for me. So about 10 a.m., I get called into our manager's office and I walk in and there's someone from HR there. It probably took about 30 seconds for me to realize what was happening. They proceed to tell me that I wasn't living up to expectations. They slid over my final check, which was only paid through that day, and I was asked to leave. This was the first time I'd ever been fired from a job. And so as we're doing the exit interview, the HR rep says, well, you know, is there anything you'd like to add? And I said, yes, actually there is. You know, I've asked several times for help with some of these things and how to do these types of entries or what is the process for this. And every single time I asked for help, the person I shared the office with would be like, well, never mind, I'll just take care of it later. And then the manager said, well, I didn't know that. I said, well, then how did you know that I wasn't doing the job? She's like, oh, well, the coworker told me that you weren't doing it. And I said, okay, well, more than once I've asked you to help mentor me and you haven't been available to do so. And I've been getting shut down for help here. So it's really hard for me to get better at the job that you want me to do without your guidance on how you want me to do it. I can make assumptions based on how I've done this kind of work in the past, but I was like, that's really all I I would like to say in this moment. And of course, you know, it wasn't going to change anybody's mind. I had already felt like it was a toxic work environment for me and had already been planning on leaving. I just was more upset that I didn't get to do it on my terms. And the fact that when I did go to try to file for unemployment, I did get rejected. So that took place. Two weeks later, we leave for our vacation to visit some good friends of ours and stay with them and their children. And we decided we were still going to go. You know, I had no active income. I was kind of terrified because I didn't know how we were going to make the payments of anything, really. But we go on this vacation. And when we arrive, my friend's parents were also there and were going to be leaving in another day or so. So we were all staying there together. And I have known this person since high school. We basically grew up together and have gone through some really hard stuff together. Her parents were like my parents. We were very close. And I think it was one o'clock in the afternoon before someone's breaking out drinks. And we used to drink a lot at their house when we were younger. And they were always really cool about it, you know, which is awesome when you're that age to feel like an adult sees you sort of at the same level as them. But I did start to notice a few things, the bloodshot eyes and their skin and some other physical features that tend to get exacerbated when you have aging plus alcohol consumption. And I didn't really recognize it at the time. Keep in mind, a lot of this observation is coming hindsight. So we go through the week. We have an amazing time with our friends, drinking the whole time. And then on like the second to the last night, we're going out to dinner. And for some reason, I just like had this weird feeling. And I was like, I'm not going to drink tonight. So I didn't have anything at the restaurant. And when we got back home, 
I remember thinking, you know, I think I'm just going to take a break from drinking for a while. I feel like I don't want it to be the shortcut to connection that I've been using it as, you know, when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling sad. Uh, and I don't want my anxiousness or my sadness to impact, you know, whatever plans we have. I just have a couple drinks and then I would feel fine. So I decide when we get back that I'm not going to drink for a while. But then about four weeks later, I'm in the mountains with a couple of friends. It's just the three of us. And we have a great weekend. But I just wasn't ready to try and explain why I wasn't drinking. And so I drank. And that weekend was the last time I had alcohol. September 10th, 2016. When I think about why I decided to stop, I think there was the piece of seeing my friend's parents and wondering, oh, that's my future. It's five o'clock somewhere. It doesn't really matter how early in the day it is for us to start offloading our pain onto something else. And also thinking about how I had been offloading my pain. And as much as I had hoped that I wasn't still in the same level of grief 18 months after my mom died, I very much was. So I went into that fall doing odd jobs to just try and make money. I was cleaning houses for family to try and bring in income so that we could live. I was thinking I did not want to go back into the same industry. I have done this probably six times in the course of the last 15 years that I've been doing this kind of work where I just hit this wall and I'm, I kind of am like, this is not what I want. I want to do something creative. I want to do, I want to write. I want to draw. I want that to be the moneymaker. But unfortunately, the pragmatist in me says, you can't. You have to support this family and that's not going to cut it. I'm not willing to lose my house. I'm not willing to put my family in any kind of distress. So I always shelve the version of me that wants to come out and be creative. For many years, I looked at the creativity and the art as a waste of time because I didn't understand how much I needed it and how much it helped balance out what I had to do to support my family. I will say I do enjoy the type of work I do. It has its challenges, both good and bad. It has enough consistency where it feels like you can set your clock on certain things about it, but then enough nuance and change to keep it interesting so that I never really get bored doing it. And I'm at the point now where I manage people and I really enjoy mentoring and coaching and it helps me learn more about myself and just how to be a better manager and what kind of management I like to have based on these other poor experiences that I've had. You definitely sort of figure out what you don't want. I was cleaning houses and one of those houses happened to be my dad's. And that was really, really fucking hard, y'all. My mom is in every nook and cranny of that house. It's the home I grew up in. It's the only home I'd ever known up until I moved out. There were memories hiding behind every cupboard door, in every drawer, in every utensil, in every picture frame. 
my mother was everywhere. And I wanted to do a thorough, complete job. And I can't even know when the last time that house had been deep cleaned. My mom had been ill for almost a year and hadn't lived there for, by the time I was cleaning the house, um, about nine months. So my dad, I'm sure, was just keeping up with the, the maintenance of things. But in terms of like a really good deep clean, I don't know when it had had one. So I was taking every single thing out of every area and cleaning deeply and then cleaning off each individual item and then putting it back where it went. And everything I touched had her fingerprints all over it. And it was one of the hardest things I'd ever experienced. But I had already decided not to drink. And I can't tell you how in those early days, it was kind of hard. It wasn't like I was craving the alcohol in the sense of like I needed it. But just feeling that sadness so deeply and palpably every single day that I was there made me want to have something to take away the feelings at the end of the day. So my first few months of being sober from alcohol were very challenging because I was regularly being put into situations where all of these feelings had free reign over my brain and my heart and my soul. And I just had to cry and let them happen and use the cleaning as sort of the therapeutic movement to get me through them. It didn't happen overnight. But by the fourth or fifth week, I started feeling less apprehensive about going over there. I felt less anxious about what I was going to encounter while I was going through their things. I became less afraid of finding my mother around every single corner. Another thing that happened that fall was my sister, Denise, who you've met, hosted a day-long retreat with someone, and it was about reconnecting with self. Overall, what I took from that day was, I need to make time for art, whatever that definition is for myself. At the time, it was writing and drawing. I had recently rediscovered that love for calligraphy, and I wanted to do more with it. And one of the exercises they had us do was to bring a picture of ourselves to the retreat. And then there was an activity where we were supposed to create a picture of ourselves with cutting out stuff from magazines and things like that. And just like a little collage of things you love and put it together with your face on it. And the, the little cutouts they gave us were kind of in the shape of a, of a body. I didn't know what I was going to be making at the time, but as I started flipping through magazines and looking through pictures that spoke to me, I ended up pulling out pictures of nature, the ocean, and marine animals, and flowers, and I cut out the words, don't deny your art. And I still have that. It sits on my desk as just a little reminder that this is a part of me, it's an important part of me, and I need to pursue it in order to maintain balance in my life. And then around Thanksgiving, a job opportunity came upon me where 
an old acquaintance needed some support in the kind of work that I do and just needed somebody temporarily. And it was even the hourly rate there was going to be more money than I'd made up until that point. So I said yes, because we needed the money. And I found I really liked it there. You know, talk about when luck meets opportunity. I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. The manager there gave their notice. And they thought I would be a good fit to take over. So I interviewed. And even though I had wanted to try and make a go of the art, this opportunity came up and I took it. But when I was talking about it with my spouse, before I committed to it, it was very easy to get caught up in, this is the most money I've ever made on my own. This is more money than we've ever made combined. We will have health insurance again. I can make sure that the kids are taken care of. I won't have to keep cleaning houses to support us. But I did say in that conversation, I still need to make time for the art stuff. Because that's how I'm going to keep filling my bucket. I'd been trying to give from a depleted bucket for so long. And I needed to make sure that I was continuously trying to fill it. Here and there, little by little, so that I didn't find myself in these desperate places. Where when my depression cycles come through, it's really hard for me to get out of them. So I took that job in early 2017 and it sort of changed the trajectory of our lives. I'd been working there for about three months when we went out for a team bonding at a bowling alley. The company was paying for the bowling and everybody was, it was a one drink minimum that the company would cover one cocktail. So I get there and I say, well, I can't stay long. I think I had to pick up my kids or something. So I sit down and the guy who had the office next to me, we had sort of struck up a friendship, very brother-sister. He reminded me a lot of my older brother and, and some of that fun, gentle ribbing and giving people a hard time that goes along with that. And he asked me if I wanted a drink. And I said, oh, no, thanks. I'm good. And he was like, oh, are you sure? You know, you can get one. I'm like, no, I'm good. Thanks. And I don't know if it was how I said it or what I, if I said something specifically different, but he asked a little further and said, oh, do you not want a beer? Do you maybe want this? And, and I don't know why, but I, I did, ha I did say, oh, no, thanks. I'm just not drinking right now. And he's like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, why not? And I was like, well, I haven't been drinking for about six months. I'm just, I'm just kind of seeing how it goes and, and seeing what it's like. And I didn't know this person very well. And I certainly didn't want to start trying to explain my life story. I've been like, well, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm depressed because my mom died and I don't really know how to deal with it. And I kept using different forms of numbing to not deal with it. I don't think I want to scare the people I'm, I just started working with full time yet. So I didn't really say anything further. Then about a year or so later, we were at work and he invited me and some other co-workers to come for like a whiskey tasting. It was like a whiskey tasting and like a meat fest of some kind. I can't even remember. But I just remember thinking like, thank you for inviting me. And I always appreciate that people still invite me to things, even if they know I don't partake in whatever it is. 
there was a long stretch of time where I just did not get invited to things because people were like, oh, she doesn't drink. She doesn't want to come. Or, oh, she doesn't like meat. We don't want to take her to this place, this barbecue place. Even though the camaraderie and the connection that would be happening at that place is something I would be interested in. Anyway, so he invites me and I say, oh, thanks so much. I'm good. I think I did already have plans. But depending on what it is, I like to be able to make the choice of if I think it's going to be a good and safe place for me. And I knew that this probably wasn't going to be a good choice for me just because the whole point of getting together was to do the whiskey tasting and this meat tasting. And I would be partaking in neither. And I didn't want other people to be uncomfortable by me being there because I, as I've mentioned, that happens a lot where you say you don't do something and immediately people think you're judging them because they do it. And I, again, I'd been there for about 18 months, but I hadn't created really good bonds with everybody on the team. This is a long way of saying this story. He said to me when I declined, he was like, oh, right. I always forget that you don't drink. And he goes, you don't drink. You don't eat meat. How do you live? And I happened to be in a great mood that day, so it didn't hit me in a negative way. And I just looked him right in the eye and I said, with vigor and joy. And it really hit me in that moment that I think this is going to be it for me. I really don't think I'm going to go back to drinking. There was always a time where I was like, well, maybe I'll drink again sometime because I don't know. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. And it felt weird that I wasn't participating in that part of our culture and society. But when I was able to say those words to him and mean them, I knew then that I was done drinking. And then about, I don't know, eight to 10 months later, it was the 15th anniversary of my spouse and I's first date. We spent the weekend in a northern Colorado town visiting family. And I got two tattoos that day. I got one of my spouse's name in Morse code. Because you know what they say when you get your partner's name tattooed on you. It's like a recipe for ending of the relationship. But see, I did it in Morse code. So you can't really read it unless you know what it says. And also, I could just turn that into an arrow or something someday if I needed to. He didn't think that joke was funny. I did. Anyway, the other tattoo I got was something I found from someone I followed who I will bring up in a later episode. Her name is Holly Whitaker. And it looks like a, it looks like a periodic symbol. It's like a square and it's got a capital T and a lowercase T that looks just like the periodic table. And that stands for teetotaler, which is a person who does not drink alcohol. And I got a tattoo of that on my body shortly after I had been sober for two years. That year was the year that I knew that this was the lifestyle choice I was going to make from here on out. And now I'm six years sober. I just had my soberversary on Saturday, September 10th. I had an incredible day. I got to go to Red Rocks Amphitheater, the best music venue in the country, with one of my best friends and see two artists who have been vastly influential on me, Brandy Carlisle and the Indigo Girls. 
I can't recall if I've already mentioned the Indigo Girls on here, but they're one of two musical artists that I can honestly say has have completely shaped who I am as a person and been there for me when I needed their music, whether it was happy or sad or depressed or confused or angry. Their music has always been a touchstone for me ever since I was young. And this was probably the 15th time I've seen them live. And every time it's like rediscovering them all over. It's like reuniting with my best friend. And it was the best day. And I'm so grateful that I got to spend an important milestone day for me in the company of people and musicians who fill my bucket. It was amazing. And I will never forget it. So I I so appreciate you coming back on this journey with me. I'm really looking forward to some of these other conversations that we're going to have in the coming months. I've reached out to a few more people that I want to have compelling conversations with and they've said yes. So it's really exciting for me to be able to bring these conversations to you and to continue learning about what makes us human, how we're more alike than we are different. And if you're finding yourself enjoying the podcast, I would love it. Love it, love it. If you would follow the podcast wherever you follow them, rate it, review it if you feel so inclined, and share it. Share it with your friends, your family, your loved ones, maybe someone who's sober curious or you think might be struggling with some other kind of difficult topic. Please continue sending me your emails. They help me figure out where we're going to go as the podcast goes forward. I've gotten quite a few regarding the curiosity of soberness, and I think I've got someone awesome for you to listen to their story here in the next couple of months. So stick with me, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions and stories at mysoberlifepodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, wash your hands, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.